Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Matt Collins and Brian Joyner getting the crew back together. Guys, what's going on? Nothing. Literally nothing. I'm in a car, as you know. All right, so we've got Brian from the car. Um, so I hope I hope you deliver better than uh, the typical calls from the car that I listen to on WEEI when I have to. Uh, you listen to WEEI? Yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't admit that. No, no. I, I You know what it is? It's just like whenever I'm in the car, I teeter between the two sports stations when there's, like, nothing on the radio, uh, the actual, like, music stations. And um, What yeah. year is this? Listen to your phone, dude. Yeah, come on. I, I know, I know. I should, you know what I should do? I should, I should listen to this podcast on there. Um, That's a little egocentric, but yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, Matt's Matt's absolutely right. There is nothing going on. However, um, Mookie did win his arbitration case, and that is big news for the Red Sox and for Mookie Betts. Um, I I'm stoked that he won this case. Um, I think Mookie obviously deserves ten and a half million next year. Uh, it probably deserves $25 million or not more. Um, so it's cool that he won this. But I'm wondering, Matt, uh, what are the long-term ramifications of this? Because the team clearly didn't want this to happen. Um, I don't think there's – I'm not worried about there being ramifications in terms of this will make him not want to stay here or anything like that. But um, it is going to make him – a lot more expensive for the next couple of years. Um, arbitration is based a lot on the previous year's salary, and then it goes up incrementally from there. So the first year is really important for an arbitration-eligible player, and Betts just set a huge baseline, uh, the second highest, right? Second highest first Yeah, Bryant, year I think ten point eight. Yeah, so he just barely missed the highest ever. So he's going to be making a lot of money in the next few years, which... Like you said, he deserves it. The team can suffer through that. I don't think it's a huge deal, um, but it will impact their payroll for a few years. Yeah. Um, Brian, what were your impressions when this came down? Well, Matt had said he expected the Red Sox to win, and now that Mookie won, and hey. more to the point, uh, Shelby Miller won. Is that true? He won it his is. arbitration. How did he win? I Didn't he have Tommy John? Yeah, I don't know really the details of that. Well, something, especially with Mookie, forgetting the obvious Matt is right, that the baseline goes way up. I wonder if you're starting to see the friction here between owners trying to reset the salary scale to their liking and arbitrators going in and looking at precedent. Because precedent is going to say people should get paid more for um, I don't know if this applies so much to Mookie, but it could be interesting going forward. Either way, I think he deserves to win because he's a great player and he's worth at least twice what they're going to pay him. Yeah, I definitely didn't think he was going to win, but he absolutely deserved to win. I yeah, it, it is really interesting, though, because when you explained it last week on the podcast, Matt, you said that they base it off of really weird stuff like – um, rookie of the Year awards and MVPs and stuff like that. So clearly his second-place MVP voting carried some weight there. And um, it is interesting, and I'm wondering, like, if maybe the arbitration process is evening out a little bit. Maybe it's catching up to um, players' true value now. I think 
I don't know. The arbiters aren't really baseball people. These are lawyers who aren't don't necessarily know anything about baseball. So if anything, it would be on the players, agents, and lawyers getting better at quickly explaining their value mm-hmm. in things like advanced stats. So maybe they're getting better at that, and I hope so because then arbitration would more accurately reflect a player's value. But um, I don't think that it's about the arbiters being any more knowledgeable. If I was an arbiter, I would just demand a list of like the players war over the last, I don't know, two, three seasons. And I'd be like, all right, I'm going to go off of this. What is, what is this guy getting paid? Um, th- that seems to make sense. Even for someone who's completely baseball literate to go off of something that captures offense, defense, base running. I know you're not a huge war guy, Matt, but th- isn't that a logical starting point? I, don't know. I think it's easier for us to say because we already have that knowledge, but if you don't really know anything about advanced stats and then somebody's just throwing this ultra-complicated formula at you, and, I mean, these are lawyers, so they're going to want to know what the number is and the calculation, and it just gets really complicated. So I don't know. I don't really know if that's how they would want to roll. Yeah. Difficult to predict, that's for sure. Um, anything else on this before we move on with the Mookie arbitration? Um, I no. I their sat their payroll now is at I have it at two hundred and ten point five million for the luxury tax. So and do with that what you will. What is the threshold for the luxury tax this year? Uh, they're over. It's one ninety seven. Right. So okay. they're definitely over the that penal the penalties for uh, draft picks is two. 37? 37. Yeah, I believe it's okay. 40 million over, so. Okay. That's my, important to watch. I guess my question is who is now, what is the worst contract that Mookie is being paid equal to now? Um, because even even though he won 10 and a half or whatever, is not the highest salary in baseball by any stretch. Do you guys know offhand of anyone who's making about the same? Uh, Chris Bryant is making 300000 more. I only know that because he just barely beat him out in first-year ARB, but I have no what, idea. What if first-year arbitration is just due to handsomeness? That's Ooh. interesting. I could, The Red Sox will be paying a lot of money in the next few years if that's true. Andrew Benintendi's coming up, too. Well, if that were true, Xander Bogarts would be getting paid a lot more. That's also true. Yeah. Red Sox are a good-looking bunch. They really are. Um... I wonder if any of the Red Sox will get any clothing line uh, sponsorships like Chris Bryant. I think he's still working with Guess, isn't he? I don't know. Mookie's a Jordan client, though. That's something. Mm. How is it February and this is all we have to talk about? It's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) Truck Day's on Monday. You want to talk about Truck Day? I do not. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Let's let's move on from this. All right, so the Red Sox um, farm ranks, almost all of them have come out so far. We were going to talk about this last week, and then we didn't because we kind of ran out of time, and uh, now is as good a time as any to talk about it. So we've got the Sox prospects list as usual, Baseball America list is in, Baseball Prospectus list is in, Minor League Ball list is in, and then most recently we have the Keith Law list. Um, Not a ton of surprises at the top. Um, we've got one and two, clear cut, Jay Grom, uh, Michael Chavis, 
Um, three and four flip-flopped between a bunch of outlets between Brian Mata and Tanner Hoke. And then after that is what I call the tier of sheer madness, which is basically a bunch of random guys who may or may not belong in the top ten uh, if this was a respectable system at this time. And then Keith Law goes ahead and uh, ranks the Red Sox system, I believe it was 24th. Is that right, Matt? Yeah, uh, Baseball America did as well. But Oh, same, they had them at the identical? Okay. Yeah. So, so both at 24th, but I, I think the more interesting thing was that one of the ranking sets came out uh, when they did their top 100 and had um, Michael Chavis ahead of Jay Grom. Which, which outlet was that, Matt? That was MLB Pipeline, which, yeah, yeah, MLB Pipeline. They haven't released their team lists yet, but they did their top 100. So, so, so that is something of note right there. Um, I think we would all agree that MLB Pipeline tends to have the most bizarre lists. I think Keith Law's list is um, notably very different from year to year from the major lists as well. Uh, however, MLB Pipeline always seems to be kind of off there in the distance. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah, that and Keith Law usually stand out. That's not necessarily a bad thing or a good thing, but they're usually farthest from the beaten path. Yeah, Jake, I totally know <laughs> the difference between these, so you're right on that. <laughs> well, I'm glad we could get your expert opinion, Brian. Um, no, but 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 for just for reference, Jake, for the listeners, Jake invited me into a dynasty baseball league, and so I am learning about prospects rapidly. So I'll not be an idiot all season. No, I can vouch for Brian. He is learning very quickly. He's almost like a. Um, like a toddler or something, you know, like he has that uh, innate ability to learn like much, much faster. I think he's his, his brain is somehow hit a new development curve. We're all yeah, very also, proud of you, Brian. Also hurts himself on playgrounds. <laughs> well, no one said you were perfect. Um, what do you make of that, though? Because I don't know how I feel about any outlet having Chavis first. I think there's just... The problem with Chavis, and I, I guess you could make this argument for Grom too, but there's just so much variation with Chavis's outcome. It's not like we know what he's going to be at the next level. And I think I have, I still have big questions about Chavis's hit tool. I know the power's there. The position thing kind of worries me a little bit. I don't really know where he's going to play. He's undersized for first. He's not great at third. He could probably play there for a couple of years, but he wouldn't be great. I don't know about the idea of pushing him to second base. Um, and it's conceivable that there are enough holes in that swing that he could come up and bat like 220. I don't think that's the case. I think he's probably more of a 250, 260 guy when he gets to the bigs. But uh, all that is enough to kind of scare me away. But at the same time, I mean, we've got Jason Grom, who is a Red Sox pitching prospect. So as good as he is, um, it's not like the Red Sox have a great track record of actually maximizing the talent on these guys especially as of late so where do you stand on this matt um i mean i would put i'm gonna call him groom because that's what i've always called him and i don't know how to say his name so i'm gonna put i would put groom first because he i think everyone would agree he has more upside um there's real potential for him to be a number two uh, maybe like a number one, whereas Chavis is close to the majors. He's almost certainly going to play in the majors, so I can see the argument for him. 
Groom hasn't pitched very much, and when he has, he's been incredibly inconsistent. So if you really value proximity and safety and definitely playing in the majors, then I could see it. But I w- I'm not surprised that there's only one list who has done this. Yeah, and I think that Brian uh, certainly agrees with us on this one because he selected Groom in our uh, our, our dynasty draft. Yeah, I didn't reach to do it, though. I do think that um, this just seems like the perfect hedge. Uh, and the fact, you know, he was, Chavis was two spots ahead, right? So it wasn't yeah. like, it, they're effectively a wash in that one. And you can see the thought process, and I think I, with you guys, disagree with it just because of Groom or Grom's true talent level, um, at least coming out. So we'll see, but uh, it's, you know, it's the perfect, sort of the perfect split of the older guy who's got some power, who's ready, who will play, and the younger pitcher where there's just a ton of variables. And he's looked, eh, he's looked good at times, and that I know because I've been reading up on him more. But, um, yeah, it doesn't, like, if it was 20 spaces different, I'd be raising my eyebrows. But with two spaces different, that's basically the same thing. And it, it should be mentioned, Baseball America had Groom ahead of him, but they were also two spaces apart there, too. They had Groom 83 and Shavis 85, so. Yeah, but um, they're right, so, they're, so that's There great. we go. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, I mean, both of those outlets do a good job, though. And the, the thing here is that the big takeaway, I guess, is that the Red Sox system just isn't what we're used to seeing at this point. I mean, even the top two guys – in the system, the clear-cut top two guys are back-end top 100 guys, which is not something that we've seen in, in years now at this point. We're so used to having the Devers and the Bogarts and, you know, the Benintendis and all of these guys. But we uh, do have them. But we do have them. They're on the team now. Right. Yeah, we, we've got them. We just don't have them in the system. So it's just uh, it's a little different to see the Red Sox all the way down at 24, and it's especially kind of scary when you see the prospect list come out and you see the Yankees unanimously in the top three systems in baseball with the lineup they already have. Yeah, well, yeah but we knew this good. was coming. We've been talking about this for four years now, that we knew that there was going to be a bubble and eventually – they were gonna. Everybody was gonna get promoted, and then they're gonna have to reset the farm system, and that's where they are now. I mean, you look at their top prospects. You have Chavis has a very outside chance at graduating this year. Sam Travis is probably gonna graduate this year, um, and that's about it. I mean, they have guys who could and maybe should increase their stock this year. Um, Tanner Houck was on Keith Law's Just Missed list. Brian Mata was incredibly impressive as an 18-year-old. Cole Brandon and Alex Scherf hasn't really... They were drafted last year out of high school. They haven't really had a chance to do anything. They could see their stock rise pretty significantly. So um, it's I'm not going to tell you it's a great farm system, but it's in reset mode, and it wouldn't be totally shocking if we came back next year and they were up about 10 spots in these rankings. Do you guys have any dark horse in these rankings? Uh, well, not in these rankings, I should say, but anyone in the system that might be outside of the top 20, might be like 60 range. I don't even care how far down he is. 
but anybody that you're going to be watching closely this coming up year that you think has a potential to move up in the system? Um, Roldani Baldwin. I'm extremely surprised he hasn't been mentioned anywhere yet. Uh, he had a really good year as a catcher. He had 274, 310, 489. Um, I don't know a ton about his defense, but a catcher who can hit like that, I'm surprised he wasn't mentioned more. Um, Zach Schellinger is a guy they drafted last year. He's a college reliever-only guy, um, so he can move pretty quickly. It's a lot of lottery tickets, um, but there are some interesting players down lower in the system. Bobby Pointer. Bobby Pointer. Yeah. He was uh, Keith Law ranked him somewhere. Yeah, I, he was like he was in his 14 top 10, or right? something like that. I think he was out. I think he was in the top like 15, but yeah, Pointer's interesting. Yeah, he's been getting yeah, some love. Like, he could be a really, you know, he could be a bullpen guy. He, he could be up this year. I'm going to tell you the guy who I'm watching who they drafted last year who is let me see where he's ranked in the Sox prospect system. He's all the way down at 48, but that's Tyler Esplin. He's only 18 years old. He's 6'3", 230. He's just a beast, this huge, huge outfielder um, who's got a lefty swing with some pop. I just really like like the uh, the he raw, got, uh, raw tools here. He was on Law's list as well. Where was he? Let me open that up. Uh, he was 13 on Law's list, and Pointer was 15. Interesting. Esplin was ahead of Octomy, for whatever that's worth. Wow, that is surprising. So... Just in a little sample size last year, 22 games uh, with the GCL Red Sox. Um, Esplin batted 271, 340, 388 uh, with two home runs and 11 RBIs as an 18-year-old coming off of his baseball season in high school. So actually he was still 17 at the time when he did that. So it's not not unimpressive that he was able to hold his own there. Yeah, he's um, – I mean I do the – minor lines where I pretty much just post the box scores from all the minor league games so he was definitely a name that stood out there's not many names that stand out in those box scores but he was one of them hmm. all right um, anything else we want to touch on with these lists anybody in the back end of the top 10 or anything like that that you guys want to hit on um, Marco Hernandez has still only been ranked by Baseball America so <laughs> I found out that they don't care about service time Interesting. So they just rank players who um, he doesn't have enough plate appearances to qualify, I guess. So he still counts, even though he's not technically rookie eligible. So that was weird, but that is why he's there. So he cannot win the rookie of the year, even though Baseball America has ranked him. Yes. MVP, though, still in it. Yeah, he's absolutely. Cy Young, maybe. (laughs) Don't rule it out. Yeah. Um,. I'm going to just uh, say one more guy here that I find really interesting who I'm going to be watching for this year whenever I look up minor league box scores, and that's Alex Scherf. Um, the Red Sox got him a little bit later than I expected in the draft last year. He has excellent stuff, um, and I think he's someone that could find himself in the top five of this system by this time next year. I would agree with that. I don't know a ton about him, but I know people that follow the draft more closely than I did, liked him a lot and were surprised that um, he went to a team that had enough money to sign him. Um, so Keith Law's 
pretty high on him. He had him sixth. Law's high on the whole 2017 class. He had Jake Thompson seventh. Um, so I think Keith Law is a little more optimistic about the Red Sox future farm system than a lot of people are. But Sheriff is definitely the perhaps the biggest reason why. It's all very interesting. There's going to be a lot to watch next year. So you're in a good spot, Matt, to be up there uh, near the Double A club. Uh, yeah. Um, so MLB Network just did their top 10 ranks right now um, at each position. And uh, the Red Sox have made a few of these lists. They haven't finished all of them yet so far. Um, they uh, they haven't done pitching. So Chris Sale's certainly going to be up there. But they have done right field. Kimbrell, too. Yeah, Kimbrell as well. They have done right field, left field, and second base. Um, in all of those positions, the Red Sox had a representative. So um, here is how they ranked in terms of uh, MLB Network. Uh, Mookie Betts they had as the third right fielder on the list uh, behind Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton, but ahead of Bryce How Harper can he be Luigi number Martins. three on a list behind two other right fielders? What? That's, how can he be on? He's behind two other right fielders on the same team. Sorry. Same team. <laughs> Sorry. They're on the same team. They can't both be in right field. No. He's number two. Don't listen to the list. He's number two. That's true. I mean, he he points out a you big flaw in the logic. Uh, what did you think of the ranking, Matt? Did you think it was too low? Um, I would. Probably, I get why they rank him down there, but I think I would have him one or two, and I might have Harper ahead of him if I had him at two. Um, I don't know. I mean, these guys are all really good. I think that coming off last year, I can see why they rank him behind the Yankees guys, but moving forward, Stanton has the health problems. Judge, I think, is incredible, but last year I would be pretty surprised if 2017 wasn't his career year. Yeah. So, I mean, Betts just does everything, and it's such a safe profile that I would... I think I would have Harper 1, Betts 2, Judge 3, Stan 4. What about you, Brian? I co-signed that, I co-signed that except for I'd, I'd uh, swap Stanton ahead of Judge. Yeah, it's the health that puts Stanton behind for me, but I can see it. So for me, I, I ranked him this way. I had Harper 1, Betts 2, Stanton 3, Judge 4, uh, J.D. Martinez 5. Uh, J.D. Martinez is not a right fielder, by the way. I don't know. Yeah, but I don't... that's where they have him here, so that's yeah. where I put him. I put McCutcheon 6th. I put Nomar Mazzara 7th. Um, I put Domingo Santana 8th, Steven Souza 9, and Mitch Hanniger uh, all the way at 10. I thought a few of the guys on this list didn't belong. Like JD, uh, Josh Reddick, uh, Avisel Garcia, Dexter Fowler. I mean, those guys are good players, but I don't know if they belong in a top 10. These lists are extremely weird, and we'll see that when we get to... I think second base is probably the worst list but um, that I've seen. But yeah, these lists are pretty weird. Well, that list is wild, because after the first five, it's just... Uh... If you looked at the list in terms of like the actual talent level, instead of just oh that number six behind number five, the gap between like five and six would be huge. Yeah, yeah. 
I, I think you could argue the gap between four and five is even monumental, considering J.D. Martinez isn't a good fielder, and hopefully he doesn't listen to this podcast, so he still comes yeah, to the he's Red still Sox, a, but He's a legitimate superstar. I'm, he's in that tier more than the other tier, at least. Yeah, yeah, totally. Do you guys buy the, the breakout season from Avisel Garcia last year? Uh, I've, to be honest, I haven't really looked at it that much, but I feel like I looked at it in like August or September and I mildly bought it. So I'll just say that I still do without researching it anymore. Yeah. I feel like he probably has adjusted somewhat and he won't, I don't think that he'll reach the height, but I think he'll be better than useless, um, which he had been in t- at times before. Yeah. I'm with you there. Uh, I think he's, he he has made a change. I don't know if he's top 10 material, but he's definitely a, a serviceable player. Um, moving over to second base, the Red Sox had a representative at second base, albeit one who's out with a knee surgery right now, uh, Dustin Pedroia. Um, the list had him ranked at sixth, the sixth best second baseman in all of baseball. They had him behind Altuve, Robinson Cano, Brian Dozier, uh, Daniel Murphy, DJ Lemayhu, uh, and then they had him ahead of uh, Jonathan Scope, Ian Kinsler, Neil Walker, and Cesar Hernandez. Um, I think the bottom part of this list is kind of trash, aside from uh, Scoop and Kinsler. Um, I would have had Pedroia actually lower than this. What about Absolutely. you guys? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Dustin Pedroia, I love Dustin Pedroia. He is, there's not a chance in the world he is the sixth best second baseman in baseball right now. No, no. Um, Scope's better. Neil Walker's better. I'd take Cesar Hernandez over him. I would take Whit Merrifield over him Mm. and probably other guys that I'm not thinking of right now. Um, He's probably not in the top ten, and it pains me to say it. Brian, would you have him in your top ten? I doubt it. If I did, it would be at 9 or 10 based on reputation, which is what they're doing up at 6, but that's just, it's too much. Um, it would be, it would be close to be predicated on the idea that, you know, after, with Pedroia, he gets healthy and then he steadily gets hurt and hurt and hurt until he has to totally stop. And when he comes back, he can hit a little bit and then it starts, the whole cycle starts again. Of course, he's getting older, so you don't know how much the hitting is going to come back. He's very slow, or he's just not moving around the base as well. I would have a hard time imagining um, he would crack my time. I mean, I don't think he'd be in the top eight for sure, but maybe nine or ten. Yeah, I mean, I, I looked at this, and I did a, a quick ranking, and this is how I had it. I had it Jose Altuve. I had Jose Ramirez actually at number two, who they didn't rank on here because he played a lot of third base last year as well. I had Robinson Cano at number three, Brian Dozier at four, Daniel Murphy at five, DJ LeMahieu at six, Scope at seven. I had Pedroia come in at eight, and then after him, uh, I had Rufnet Odor and Ozzy Albies at tenth. Um, I could definitely be convinced that a few of those names that uh, Matt said as well could be above him. But I guess the reason that I put Pedroia in the top 10 there and threw him at 8th is because the defense is still really good when he's on the field. Even injured, the defense was above average last year. So we know he makes contact. If he can come back more healthy than he has been for the last few years... I think that Pedroia could still have a few seasons where he's borderline top 10 uh, second baseman. 
I, I think that's fair. I just think that the counting on him to come back, what I was saying is just if you think that through, the process is going to start again. And I just don't think – like maybe for this year I could see eight. Like I – okay. But I think that going forward there's going to be a lot – the injuries are going to pile up quicker um, and the healing is going to take longer. So I'm not convinced maybe going forward, but they're just talking about this year. So I can see that. I'm just worried about the rest. Yeah. Matt, what do you think? I don't – I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying with the defense. I've, I'm pretty convinced that Pedroy is not going to be back for a while. Um, I have nothing that I'm basing this on, but it just feels like with injuries like this – and players injured as often as Pedroia, these things always have setbacks. And, I mean, I know he says he wants to be back by April or May, but I would say it's probably going to be closer to the All-Star break is my expectation. So, And then when he does come back, who knows if he's going to be able to stay healthy after that. I just can't. I can't buy it at this point. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. The The reason why I'm still remaining optimistic is because when he decided to get this surgery at the end of the year, the way that the, the team in Pedroia were billing it is that this was going to be some sort of a more long-term solution to the problem that he's been having for the last few years, um, that he's just been continually pushing through in the offseason, kind of managing um, a chronic issue, if you will. Um, so hopefully the procedure that he had done this year is something that, he is getting done with the idea that this procedure will help him extend his career throughout the rest of his contract with the Red Sox. And then hopefully at the end of that, you know, um, he gracefully walks off into the sunset. But um, I'm a little optimistic that it's actually going to work. I hope you're right. Yeah. Healthy Dustin Pedroia is a extremely fun player. Absolutely. Uh, left field rankings. These I liked more than the other rankings that we saw. Um, I thought they were a little less screwy, uh, although I thought they were a little aggressive on some players here. Um, here's how they had it. They had Marcelo Ozuna first at left field, Yuenes Cespedes second, Justin Upton third, Ryan Braun, the steroid freak at four, uh, Trey Mancini at five, uh, Chris Davis at six, Adam Eaton at seven, Andrew Benintendi at eight, Marvin Gonzalez, who plays everywhere at nine, and Brett Gardner at ten. Uh, what did you think of those rankings? I'm going to go with you first, Bri. I think that Andrew Benintendi is going to be number one at the end of next year or soon enough, because that is not – like, I like Ozuna, okay? Don't get me wrong. But that is not the highest uh, mountain to climb there. Uh, and he seems to have the uh, ability to scale it. I don't know. I want you. It's not that Ryan Broad did steroids that he lied about it and was a dickhead. So right, so, he threw that guy under the bus. That that to me, like I, you know, Barry Bonds should be in the Hall of Fame. That's what I say. All that stuff. But Ryan Braun, very specifically, anyhow, not important. I think that that was a. Um, it's an interesting list because it's it's deeper than right field, but the talent is not as high. So uh, I can see why Benintendi came in that low. I know that other people might not think it's low, but I have a lot of confidence that he will be moving way up that uh, fairly soon. Yeah. 
I'm with you there, Brian. What did you think, Matt? Do you think that this is too low for him? Uh, yeah, I would have him. I don't know what Trey Mancini is doing in the top five. That's insane um, to me. Yeah, that was wild. Ryan Braun shouldn't be in the top five at this point. Um, even throwing away the fact that he's a dink. Uh, he can still hit a little bit, but he can't really field as well, and he can't move as well anymore. They might put, be playing first base this year. Anyways, I definitely wouldn't have them ahead of Benintendi. Everybody else I could see. Um, Eaton, Davis, Upton, Suspedes, Ozuna, and I could also see Benintendi passing all of them this year. I would say by the end of the year, it would be uh, Suspedes 1 and Benintendi 2. Interesting. That would be my guess. So here's how I had it. I had Ozuna 1. I have Christian Yellick, who's probably going to be playing there uh, after his trade to the Brewers, number 2. I had Benintendi 3, Upton 4, uh, Rise Hoskins, number uh, 5, Cespedes, Reese. Reese Hoskins, yep. Uh, Cespedes 6, uh, Chris Davis 7, Adam Eaton 8, uh, Kyle Schwarber 9, and Willie Calhoun 10. So I'm going a little young here. Willie Calhoun yeah, is a bananas pick. I'm just gonna lay that on the table right now. You're very, you're very future focused. Um, look, I, I agree that the Trey Mancini thing ahead of Benintendi is crazy. Dude can hit. That's fine. Jake, let me just a question about Ozuna. Yeah. Are you doing that based on production, or are you also factoring in Cardinals Devil Magic? Um, both. I think that Ozuna is going to keep the gains that he made last year playing with the Cardinals, and I think that, if anything, they will continue to refine his hitting approach. Um, so I think that it's a possibility that last year, as good as it was, may not be his career year because he's 27, entering his age 27 season, and moving to the Cardinals' double magic team. I hear you. I hear you, but I, I definitely I don't I I like Cespedes, but I think that I don't know. We'll see how it plays out. I I this is really interesting in the year list and the MLB list were not had so few overlaps. And also, last thing, once you said Rice Hoskins, Hoskins, I'm going Jay Groom now because you don't know what you're saying. <laughs> I'm going, I'm going with that Yes. That is a very fair point. I have no idea what I'm saying. I just pronounce these names however I feel like it at the time. So, uh, yeah, that's fair. Absolutely. Um, Let's move on here. Um, My question to you guys, and Matt, you so eloquently posed this yesterday or today in one of the articles that you wrote on Over the Monster, one of the many. You are a machine over there, by the way. Um, and you basically asked why the Red Sox have not signed anybody outside of J.D. Martinez. Like, essentially, the question you posed is, are they being too focused on J.D. Martinez? Uh, and I got to thinking about that, and I was like, why the hell haven't the Red Sox signed Tony Watson? Like, what are they doing right now in this offseason? They need a lefty. It's not It's like it's going to drastically impact their ability to get under the cap at this point. They're already over the cap. Like, why aren't they doing this? Uh, Well, I think one possibility is that Tony Watson doesn't want to come to Boston. I have no reason to believe that's true, but I have to throw that possibility out there. Um, I think the more likely is that the Red Sox don't think they need a left-hander reliever. I would disagree with that, but it's pretty clear that they like uh, Robbie Scott, 
they have a rotation that in its ideal form has four lefties. So most of the time they're going to be facing starting lineups with a lot of righties anyways. So they may not need uh, an extra lefty in the bullpen beyond Robbie Scott. They're planning on keeping Brian Johnson in the bullpen at least to start, a year, at start the year. So that's a second lefty. They have Bobby Pointer, who maybe they really like. Uh, Williams Jerez, Rowanis Elias could pitch out of the bullpen. Jalen Beeks could. So I would feel a lot more comfortable with another lefty, but I don't think they feel the need to sign one. Brian, any conspiracy theories from you? Hmm, do I have any conspiracy theories? <laughs> um, you know, the, the whole thing with them waiting it out, it just reminds me of the scene in Braveheart where they're just they're coming at them and he's just waiting. He said, wait, hold, hold, hold. And the entire, I mean, except for the brewers, uh, it's just everyone is just waiting, 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 waiting. And, yeah, that has nothing to do with Tony Watson. I think Matt made a very good point about I mean, it, the way you described it, Matt, I can see why they haven't gone after Tony Watson because it's a left-handed starters thing combined with what they have. It's not one or the other, but uh, it could be scotch taping it through this year, which probably won't work as well as they want, but that at least, it makes sense even in a why are we trying to justify it way. I don't think it's overly rationalizing it is somewhat but i don't think it's overly so i just don't think that there's anything we could say about this offseason and why it's going as it is with any sort of definitive uh you know take because we don't know what why what's happening is happening yeah i think that's fair i think uh we have no clue why any of this is occurring the way that it is and uh it is very frustrating that it is doing that but um, I think we should move on. They're doing on. the truck in like five days, right? Or four days? What's that? They're doing the truck. The truck's Monday. in like two days, right? Two Monday. Days. Monday. Darvish yeah. uh, isn't on a team. JD Martinez isn't on a team. Crazy. Yeah, it is very strange. Um, all right, let's get over to some listener questions because these have been the actual highlight of. Uh, of, of, of this podcast lately with us uh, not having any real news to discuss. Uh, and we got some good questions today. So first question here comes from Royal Ass Badger, who has an excellent Twitter handle and has asked us questions before. Um, he says, how does staying under the luxury tax this year benefit them more from going over it with J.D. Martinez and you, Darvish? Um, and he says, I mean, they aren't realistically in on Harper, Donaldson, Machado, and Kershaw, right? We could be short on starting pitchers really soon, and I think he's referencing the fact that Pomerantz is up, um, the fact that we don't know if Price is going to opt out or not. So potentially there could be at least a couple of spots to fill soon. Uh, well, oh, go ahead, Brian. Just a very quick question. Yes. It's sort of a sidetrack. Given the way this offseason has gone, do you think David Price opts out because he's I would not bet on him getting the money he's going to get paid if he opts out now. Unless like he's, no yeah, unless he's out of his mind this year, I would say he's not opting out. I am still going to stick to the fact that I believe he's opting out. I think he's unhappy enough that he's going to opt out, and I feel like he can get 
close to that 127 million or whatever it is uh, on the open market if he pitches to under a four ERA. And I have full confidence that he's actually going to be a pretty decent pitcher this year. So I think he's gone. Okay, I agree, but but go on, Matt. You can now answer Jake's question. I give you permission. Oh, thank you. Oh my God, thank you so much. <laughs> um, so what was the question? How does staying under the luxury tax benefit them? Yeah, basically, why aren't they dumping a whole lot of money into JD Martinez and you Darvish this year? Because it's there's big potential that Harper, Donaldson, Machado, Kershaw, all the big names next year are not going to be on the team. Uh, all right, well, let me address his second question, saying they're not realistically in on Harper, Donaldson, Machado, Kershaw. Why are they not realistically in on them? They're the fucking Red Sox, dude. Yeah. They're in on all of them to the extent that the players want to come here. I would especially say they're going to be in on Harper and Donaldson if they make free agency, which I don't think Donaldson will. But I think they'll be all over Harper and Machado and Kershaw, too, if they show genuine interest. So I think that question that part of the question is not correct as far as how does staying under the luxury tax benefit them it benefits the owner's pockets a whole lot because the more you wait they're not staying under the luxury tax this year no they're already over it they no, are over forget it. it they're already over it they're already over it they're trying to stay under the uh 237 mark to save a draft pick and to save extra tax money that they'd be paying out of their pockets, uh, neither of which I really care about. So if Darvish's con- contract comes down enough, I wouldn't mind signing him. But I I don't know. I'm not super concerned about them losing price. And I kind of feel like Pomerantz is a decent extension candidate. So I don't think Darvish is necessary, but I wouldn't complain if they signed him either. Well, and then get, just getting back to the price thing, if he does opt out, that would certainly seem to open the gate for those other guys. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I think it's laughable to even consider the fact that Dave Dombrowski, of all people, is going to sit out this next free agent class. Like, one of these guys is ending up in a Boston Red Sox uniform. I don't give a shit if he's getting paid, like, $400 million to do it. One of these guys is going to be here. I don't even know if I guarantee that but i can definitely guarantee they're going to be in till the end on these negotiations i mean there's no way they're going to sit it out i'm guaranteeing it one of these four is a red sock that is that is a ballsy move there jake i am not willing to say that all right you're alone on that island don't at me about it guys (laughs) all right so next question here comes from santiago aragon and he says is dubon the greatest red sox prospect to never play for the big league team. Matt, I right. can't give this to anybody but you. Yeah. Um, I actually, yeah, I love Dubon. That, we all know that joke. I think this is a pretty interesting question, throwing away the joke part, though. And I don't know what the answer is, but the best Red Sox prospect to not play for the team is it Bagwell? Yes. Yes. It is, right? It's okay. It's Jeff Bagwell. I didn't, I, I mean, I wasn't, I know you're, old brian so you know better than me i don't i don't know how he well regarded he was as a prospect i know in hindsight obviously it sucks but i remember watching sports center and gammons who obviously was all over the red sox was just like yeah the red sox are going to remember this trade like the day it happened i didn't i was 12 i didn't follow minor league or anything like that 
and uh, yeah, it was it was known uh, at okay. the time. And I, but but at the same time, I guess the question sort of implies that they had to have been a prospect. So he definitely was, but I think he's the clear answer. Yeah, well, that's what I figured. Just going off of the last 10 years, I, I looked at Sox prospects uh, in their history. They go all the way back to their rankings from all the way back to 2003. So not a huge sample size here, but the name that stood out to me was uh, one of the more tragic ones, and it was Ryan Westmoreland, who got all the way up to number four in the rankings, September 18th, 2009. Um he was a special talent. I think that he would have been an amazing player had uh, the medicals and all that stuff gone right for him. Yeah, that's a sad one. Yeah. Man, I had to take it there. Sorry, yeah, guys. Damn, dude. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I mean, special talent. There's definitely been a bunch of guys um, there that were pretty good. Uh, not Casey Kelly, though. Next question comes from um, HP Joker, a.k.a. Brady Childs. And he says, do y'all like balsamic vinegar and extra virgin olive oil? Yes. I have no opinion on this. Yeah, that's just that's just vinaigrette. Yeah, no. That's it's good shit. Here's a quick story about that. My dad in high school used to mix up his own salad dressing using that. And then his friends noticed that he was using so much vinegar that they bet him 20 bucks. Um that he couldn't drink the whole bottle of vinegar, which of course he then did. So oh my God. that's disgusting. Um, thanks. thanks, Braids. Yeah, that is really gross. What are uh, you doing here? Next question comes from Eamon Allen Ducat, and he says, are we still batting JBJ ninth? I doubt it. I think that was a feral thing. I don't I don't think I don't see Cora doing that. I think it's gonna be Vasquez or Hernandez probably. What do you think, Brian? Yeah, I think it would be Hernandez. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, absolutely not. Hernandez coming off the, the shoulder issue, I think, is a clear number nine. at least. Or whoever plays it. second base, we should say. It's no guarantee that he's going to be the starter, but he is the favorite right now. Yeah, totally. Uh, next question comes from Tim Smart. He says, how confident are you guys about Pedroia coming back and staying healthy? I think we kind of touched on that. I'm cautiously optimistic i wouldn't say i'm confident but where do you guys stand on this i already said i'm uh not the most confident all right matt really matt really brought me down earlier yeah uh, sorry i i know but it, but you're right so all right we got do. another question from don mcdonald and he says re-upping my request for trashing on fever pitch slash discussion of the best baseball movie ever um, I still can't comment on Fever Pitch because I haven't seen it, but yeah, we already done this. Don't. Yeah, I, I'm, yeah, that's. Do you have a favorite baseball movie essentially? Um, probably The Sandlot. But one time, Baseball Prospectus allowed us to write about the worst baseball movies of all time, and I went back and watched the Air Bud baseball movie. And let me tell you something, it was garbage. So maybe worse than Fever Pitch. Yeah. yeah, but here's the thing about that. I watched an Airbud movie because my daughter brought it up on Netflix. Sorry, and uh, and it's clearly not. It's really cut by num, you know, paint by numbers, so bad that it's not even really a movie. Uh, the uh, first, the basketball the first air, original, the first yeah, Airbud. it's great. Not the first Airbud. 
but okay. the subsequent ones. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that's worse. But uh, Major League is my favorite and has been since the moment I first saw it. I'm a Bull Durham guy. I like Bull uh, Durham. You, you would be. You yeah, that's not You great. would be. <laughs> I really like it. Um, yeah, I don't know what that says about me. Um, all right, moving on here. Um, Tom Pringle, a friend of ours whose podcast I've appeared on before. <sighs> Um, Tom runs Brit Socks and Nerds, um, and he is uh, in Great Britain, as you'd expect. He asks us a very strange question, which yeah, he, I already know it. He Let's thinks it's not strange. Uh, he wants to know what food item could we choose to replace our fingers if our fingers would be eaten every day and regenerate at midnight? Um, Brian, what is your answer to this? <laughs> well, I know that he also said you have to say the first thing that comes into your mind. And so I said mozzarella. I thought mozzarella sticks. He said not to say the first thing that comes into your mind. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'll still go mozzarella sticks. That's a good one. Matt, I, where are you? I uh, decided on baby carrots. Oh, that's a good one. A little that's healthy. That's really good. They're nice and hard, so you can like still pick stuff up without it them squishing. Also... You could just dip them in hummus and just lick the yeah. hummus off. Yeah, well, I was going to say ranch dressing, but yeah, either way. Sure. Yeah, um, so so I had it down to three. My number one choice was carrots. My number two choice was ribs. And my number four choice was buffalo wings. Um, so I, I was with you on the carrots thing, Matt. It's the most practical. I feel like if you choose ribs or buffalo wings, delicious as they are, you're going to get sauce all over everything. It's just gonna You're going to die soon, too, because think about how often you're going to be eating that. Right, every single day. So yeah, you're you, gonna die. You you gotta go carrots, right? Yes. It's clean carrots too. You can still type. Answer. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, he also asks us in three years' time, where is this Red Sox team? Is it broken up in scrabbling for players or extending bets, Xander and Sale, etc.? Uh, something closer to the latter. There's yeah. Something. They're Definitely something players. closer to that. They're, they're going to lock at least a few of these guys up and get somebody who's awesome that we didn't expect, a.k.a. Harper, next year. Um, all right, so Nick asks us, uh, Nick Zanaboni asks us, where do you see Blake Swihart fitting on the team next year? Is it even with the Sox? Uh, Jake, did you make this question up and put it in yourself? First of all, Nick can go to hell. <laughs> Second of all, um, yes, Jake probably did. Um, Guilty. Was it, somebody was saying they expected Blake to be like the utility guy. Is that, that right? Could that be right? That's what they're that, saying his role's gonna be. Sure. I, I don't think, think he's gonna be on the team. You don't. What do you think's gonna happen to him? I don't know. <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think Jake's he's gonna so die. Mad. Anything, I know. <laughs> don't worry, Jake. I don't think he's like dying or anything. But <laughs> I don't really. I don't think he's a utility guy. That's just absurd. I just can't wrap my head around it. I'm probably going to be wrong because they clearly believe it, but I just – I don't think they're going to get rid of Leon. They're definitely not getting rid of Vasquez. So the only other option is for Swihart to be a utility guy, and that's just bonkers. I can't I can't do it. Yeah. Um, the, the correct answer here is that he's going to be on the White Sox and he's going to be an all-star catcher for the next 10 years. Sure. I mean, they just signed Wellington Castillo, so that would be a little weird, but – 
Uh, I, I just love him. I, I have no no logical answer here. Um, hey, Jake, I'm I'm gonna let you guys take the rest of the questions. I've reached my destination. Sure. Red Sox Nation. I'll talk to you next week. Alrighty. Bye, Brian. Later. Bye, Brian. Um, all right. So next two questions are the last two, and Nick says, "Is Rusni Castillo our fourth outfielder?" Uh, I um. I think I can safely answer this one by saying no. He's too expensive. No. Yeah, he's uh I mean Price Prince is their fourth outfielder right now. If they sign JD Martinez, he's their fourth outfielder. Um Castillo's not gonna see the majors. No. Not not as long as he has that contract, that's for sure. I think Jeremy Barfield is the guy to watch. I'm becoming obsessed with Jeremy Barfield. Barfield is kinda cool. He's a really good story, and I think that I'm with you, Matt. I, I would I'm 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 a little more invested in him than I thought I was gonna be. He's just a cool guy. He was an outfielder, then a pitcher, and now he's an outfielder again. He's playing indie ball last year. He went to Portland. I got to see him in person, so that's always fun. Uh, he was hitting home runs all over the place. Um, I mean, he's 30 years old, so don't get too excited. But he's a fun story, and I hope he's in the majors this year. We should get him on the podcast. That's what we should do. Sure. Um, all right, so here's a question for you, Matt, to wrap up the show. Who do you think the seventh and eighth inning relievers are for this upcoming year for the Red Sox? I think ideally it would be Thornburg and Smith, but I don't have enough faith in Thornburg to say that. So my second ideal answer would be Barnes and Smith, but the most realistic, I think, is Kelly and Smith. I think Smith is obviously... I mentioned him all three times. I think he's the definite guy who they are going to do everything in their power to make him their eighth inning guy. And then it's a big mess for seventh. I would, I'll say Barnes can do it, but um, it wouldn't shock me if he fails and Kelly ends up with that role. Yeah, when I answered this question, I said uh, it would be Barnes and uh, Carson Smith. So I, I'm more with that. Um, I just still don't have a lot of faith in Kelly. I know he's better than I think, and he scores well in you know, lots of different categories, but I just think he gives up too many long balls. And I know that Barnes is guilty of that sometimes too, but I just trust Barnes a little bit more. See, I... I think you're the first person in the world to say that you trust Matt Barnes. I love Matt Barnes, and I don't even really trust him. But he <laughs> excites me. All right. Well, uh, well, I, I think that's a good place to wrap this thing up. So. All right. <laughs> um, for everybody out there who listened to the show and liked it, um, please go on and rate and review us. You can do so on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, anywhere you listen to this podcast. Uh, please give us five stars. Tell us how awesome we are. Uh, tell us how much Brian's audio sucked, whatever you want to do. Um, but definitely give us five stars. Um, you can subscribe to us there. Um, so we come to your phone automatically. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter. You can follow Brian on Twitter at, at Brian Joyner. You can follow Matt on Twitter at Matt RY Collins. Uh, and you can follow me on Twitter at, at Dev Jake. And, also, make sure you follow Over the Monster on Twitter because that's the best source for all of the latest news articles, uh, everything like that that's coming out on the site. So thanks again for tuning in, guys. We'll be with you next time. There is news breaks, and thanks for joining us.